values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, this is Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead. Mike, I, I know you're on vacation. I hope you're not uh, sitting by the pool with one of those little umbrella drinks. Uh, and I hope you're having a great day. But I am in studio with Chris Mays, who is the candidate, uh, Democrat candidate for Attorney General. Attorney General is the top cop in the state of Arizona, runs the biggest law firm in the state, managing partner of the biggest law firm in the state. Uh, a lot of people should really, really care about this election and this position. And Chris, welcome to the show. And. Chris, what do you see as the prime role for the Attorney General? Uh, well, first of all, Matt, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be with you on your inaugural day, your first uh, day doing uh, this. You're, you're awesome at it. Um, you know, for, look, the Attorney General, you're absolutely right. This is the, the biggest law firm, essentially, in the state of Arizona. The AG is the managing partner. Um, the job of the AG is to be to not only be the top law enforcement officer for the state, but also the top legal officer. So as you know, the AG represents all state agencies, represents the state of Arizona in major litigation, including in front of the United States Supreme Court. Um, and, and I'm running because I really want to get back to the core mission of the Attorney General's office. Frankly, I've been pretty critical of the current AG for politicizing this office. We need to get back to prosecuting consumer fraud. We've got 15,000 cases of consumer fraud coming into the AG's office alone a year. Um, get back to prosecuting elder abuse. Um, this current AG really hasn't done that. He has prosecuted very little cases of, of, of physical elder abuse. How is that even possible in a state with the fastest growing population of elderly? And then, you know, tackling our fentanyl crisis. We need a serious AG who will go after the fentanyl crisis um, in the state of Arizona and protecting our water supplies. Those are among the things that the next AG really has to grapple with. And we need somebody who's serious, um, who's got experience. You know, I a former Arizona Corporation Commissioner had the chance to work with you when I was on the on the Corporation Commission. Back then, I was a Republican. Now, now I'm a Democrat. But um, I'll be the kind of Attorney General that I was as a Corporation Commissioner, one that looks out for the people of the state of Arizona, all people, regardless of political party. So, Chris, do you think that uh, the Attorney General should have responsibility, uh, or excuse me, should have a background uh, in law enforcement or in uh, actually going to court and trials and things like that? Well, I think uh, certainly, uh, yeah, and I do. I mean, and here's how I do. First of all, um, as you know, the Corporation Commission prosecuted civil securities fraud. So I actually am the only candidate in this race who has overseen a division of law enforcement officials or law enforcement officers. Um, Our securities division had uh, badged and armed officers. I fought for their budget down at the legislature when I was the chairman of the Corporation Commission. And you know a Corporation Commissioner is a a quasi-judicial position, so I oversaw and sat on as a judge 2,700 cases um, during my seven and a half years uh, at the commission. And we also oversaw a team of administrative law judges, a team of lawyers. So in a lot of ways, there's a lot of corollaries between what I did as a commissioner and what I'll do as attorney general. So um, you mentioned one of the very important issues that needs to be focused on uh, is uh, dealing with fentanyl. Yeah. Um, And 92 percent of the illegal fentanyl coming into this country is coming 
from Mexico. It's being manufactured in Mexico. It's actually coming from China. Right. And uh, this is China's best way to get even with us, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, in you know, a during, sad way. During the uh, opium wars, you probably remember it about destroyed China. Yeah. Uh, and... Believe me, as somebody that uh, understands uh, the Far East, uh, they're not uh, they're doing this with a purpose, but it's costing untold lives in this country and in this state. What are some of the things that the attorney general could and should be doing to make sure that we're prosecuting uh, fentanyl abusers and fentanyl sellers and uh, those that, uh, uh, you know, the, the cartels are, are a big problem when it comes to that issue? What, what, what can you be doing? Well, so thanks for the question, and you're absolutely right. It's, it is a terrible problem. It's killing our kids. It's tearing our families apart. We need an attorney general who will advocate for... Or first of all, the federal government to do its job. So we need the ports of entry to be modernized so that we can catch the fentanyl as it's coming through the ports, because you're absolutely right. It's coming through ports of entry. Um, and uh, so I will do that with the Biden administration. I don't think they're doing a good enough job in this area. They're just not. No. I, I, <laughs> that's the I, understatement of the world. Right? So we can, right. All, we can all agree on that. Um, and then number two, I'll be an AG who will advocate for number one, who will prosecute this and who will bring resources to help county attorneys, especially those county attorneys along the border who are trying to prosecute fentanyl. But it's it's in all of our counties. It's 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 here in Maricopa County, throughout the state. Lastly, look, we Matt, we're sitting on a five billion dollar surplus right now in the state of Arizona. I know if you had one uh, been been our governor, or if you had you know made it through your primary, you would have put a focus on this. We should not be. We should be spending some of that surplus money. I mean, what in the world is it for if not to go after something like a fentanyl crisis that's killing our kids? Well, I've also heard you speak before about using some of that money for uh, supporting our law enforcement. Yeah. One of the biggest issues that we have, Chris, and you know this today, is every one of our law enforcement departments in Arizona uh, is having problems recruiting. Yes. Uh, they're having a real difficulty. What could you do as attorney general to help our law enforcement? Well, again, I would advocate for a additional funding for police departments. Um, you know, I, I think that... Uh, pr- so you're much, not a defund the No, police. absolutely not. Just the opposite. So. <laughs> just the opposite. Okay. No, in fact, you know, I think uh, you will find in me an attorney general who will uh, advocate for additional funding for our police departments. Uh, every single police department and police chief that I've spoken to on the campaign trail has said exactly what you just said. They're down men and women. They're um, having a little bit of trouble in in some cases, especially our rural police departments in recruiting because they don't have the funding necessary to do that. Um, So we need to increase salaries. We need to bring more resources. We need to bring additional, um, uh, you know, resources to help them with their jobs in in various different ways. Um, Again, why are we sitting on a $5 billion surplus and we have hundreds, if not thousands of police uh, officer positions that haven't been filled throughout the state of Arizona? Chris, I'm so appreciative of you coming in studio and taking the time. Uh, and uh, please give your little girl a hug for me. I will. And uh, she's in fourth grade? She is in fourth grade. Excellent. Yes. All I'm right. so, and I would be the first mom attorney general in the history of Arizona, there believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Chris, for joining us today. Thanks, Appreciate Matt. it. Good to be here. All right.
Well, next up, uh, we're going to be talking about the fact that uh, Social Security Administration has uh, raised the payment for Social Security, or the percentage, and at the same time, we've learned that the inflation rate is at an all-time high in this country. We're going to talk about the juxtaposition of those two issues and what they mean to us. Thank you very much. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Good morning, everybody. This is Matt Salmon. I'm in for Mike Broomhead. And uh, a couple of uh, interesting pieces of information just came across the desk yesterday. Uh, Number one, the Social Security Administration has announced that they're going to be increasing payments to Social Security recipients by 8.7%. That average amount uh, should be about $140 uh, a month, uh, and uh, a lot of the folks that have been interviewed who are on Social Security, while they're appreciative, uh, said it's still pretty stingy. Uh, and uh, at the same time, the Labor Department uh, brought out the statistics on inflation, and inflation sits at 8.2%. Look, I don't have to tell any of you out there that uh, are listening to this station right now that uh, – uh, inflation is killing us. Uh, two years ago, we were completely energy independent, and gas prices were somewhere in the three dollar to three fifty range. Now it seems like you got to call up the mortgage company and take out a loan to fill up a tank of gas. It's really really frustrating, and it keeps you know it goes back and forth. I was actually in Payson, Arizona, uh, just uh, uh, about a week ago, campaigning for a good friend of mine. Uh, Tom Morrissey, who's running for mayor of uh, Payson, great guy out there, and I love Tom. Hope he wins. Uh, but uh, anyway, while I was out there, we paid a dollar less than we paid in Mesa for a, uh, a, a, a gallon of gas. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I mean, just in Payson, it's it's like you know an hour away from Mesa. And they're paying a dollar less, so it, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but you look at going to the grocery store, the price of eggs, the price of milk, the price of bread, uh, the price of beefsteak, everything's gone through the roof. And our folks uh, in elected offices are full of excuses, especially with uh, the administration, the Biden administration. Uh, you know, at least Bill Clinton, uh, I served uh, in Congress when Bill Clinton was president of the United States. At least he acknowledged that he felt our pain. I'm not sure that our policymakers, especially in this uh, White House, really understand our pain or what we're going through. The fact is, uh, it's very, very, very painful. And there is a correlation between what's going on with the White House and the Congress and and, uh, what's going on with inflation. Spending, uh, unmitigated spending, spending like drunken sailors on shore leave, which is actually going on in Washington, D.C., and has been for years and years and years under both parties. Uh, And uh, then the answer from the Fed is to go into a term they call quantitative easing. Well, I can tell you in vernacular, common vernacular, what that really means. That means that they're printing money. And anybody who's taken an economics 101 class understands the correlation of 
out of control spending, printing money to cover the debt, and what kind of an effect it's going to have on the economy. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in the next segment, but I want to talk about uh, a few of those things right now. The fact that, um, you know, we had the COVID debacle and businesses that were shut down by the government. And I think about 50% of the restaurants across the nation, uh, you know, didn't come back. I don't know if it's that high. Steve Chukri, who's the president of the Arizona Restaurant Association, he could probably give you those numbers better than anybody. But I know there was a high failure rate for a lot of those restaurants. And I had Tom Hatton on earlier, who uh, was uh, is the CEO of Mountainside Fitness. And a lot of the health clubs had serious issues and uh, going under. And we had a lot of problems that came because of COVID. But then we had these supply chain issues that occurred, uh, not just because of COVID, Part of it was because of the semiconductors that are being manufactured in China. And a lot of you know that the price of cars went through the roof, automobiles, trucks, uh, just, you know, exorbitant costs. In fact, uh, I have a Chevy Silverado pickup, four-wheel drive, by the way, and black, gorgeous truck. Love it. Uh, but uh, I bought that three years ago, and I was told that if I wanted to sell it uh, about six months ago, that I probably could have sold it for as much as I paid for it. That's what inflation has done to us. Here in uh, the Phoenix area and in Arizona, out-of-control costs of housing. Uh, my home that I bought four years ago is doubled in value. I've got a, a, a little girl. I say little girl. She's 35, 36 years old, and she has a little a little one of her own. Uh, and she's uh, uh, she and her husband have been married for a few years, and they want love to be first home buyers, but they can't afford. No, I mean, who can afford? You can't. You can't get a, even a crappy home uh, for four hundred thousand dollars anymore. I mean, it's just it's 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 crazy. And it's impacting every one of us. And I was told when I joined the KTAR team that we don't just identify problems. We also identify solutions. And so in the next segment, I'm going to talk about some of the solutions uh, for uh, dealing with our inflation and dealing with uh, the out-of-control spending that's going on in Washington, D.C. And I hope you'll uh, join us for the next uh, segment. And uh, I hope you uh, tune in every day to KTAR because it's the best station going. Thanks a lot. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, sometime we need to do the theme from Shaft. That cat Shaft is a bad. Shut your mouth, right? Love that guy. Uh, anyway, um, thrilled to be here today filling in for Mike Broomhead. This is Matt Salmon. And uh, last uh, segment, I talked a little bit about. Uh, uh, runaway inflation and uh, the fact that Social Security is getting a shot in the arm. Uh, but uh, uh, I talked about the in, fa- in fact, I, on the campaign trail one time, I uh, said that our leaders in Washington were spending like a bunch of drunken sailors on shore leave. And I had a Navy veteran come up to me afterwards and he said, I take umbrage with that. I don't think you should be comparing uh, Navy uh, veterans drunk on shore leave uh, to uh, members of Congress. They're a lot more responsible. And so I did uh, my due apologies to him. Uh, But the fact is, spending is out of control. 
I'm going to ask a question out there to the audience, and since uh, uh, you're not in studio, you can't give me an answer. Hopefully, you're shouting at your radio. Uh, but out there, how many of you remember when the last time the federal budget was balanced? Do, 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 do. Okay. Fact is, the last year it was balanced was fiscal year 2001. How do I know that? Because I was part of the Congress that actually balanced the budget. In fact, the, the first year we balanced it was fiscal year 99, and then fiscal year 2000 we balanced it, and in 2001 we balanced it. And when we balanced it in 99 for the first year uh, with the Democrat president, Bill Clinton, um, we did that for the first time in 30 years, balanced the budget. How many of you believe out there that it's about time for us to add a constitutional amendment to our great, wonderful Constitution that requires a balanced budget? I do. The state of Arizona has to have a balanced budget. Every family has to have a balanced budget. And every business has to have a balanced budget. Why shouldn't the federal government have a balanced budget? Why? Why, you say? Because they're out there spending like a bunch of drunken sailors on shore leave, knowing that the Federal Reserve is going to bail them out by printing more money. They call it quantitative easing, but it's actually printing more money. And so my solution is that we need to get back to talking about fiscal sanity. Used to be that people in both parties, we used to call them blue dog Democrats, but we had fiscal hawks, people that actually believed that one of the biggest existential threats that we have as a nation is our runaway spending. And the way I used to like to uh, explain it to people was, imagine that when your child was born, you took out a credit card in their name. And then you and your spouse on that credit card that you took out in your child's name went to all these extravagant places and stayed at the nicest hotels and had the most wonderful dinners. And you ran up an exorbitant debt. You went to your credit limit, actually went over your credit limit, far exceeded your credit limit. And then when your child became 18, you gave them that credit card to pay back. Well, that's essentially what we're doing right now. We're mortgaging our children and our grandchildren's future. And not only is it penalizing and hurting them, but it's hurting all of us. That's why we have runaway inflation. Take an economics 101 class if you don't believe me. The fact is there is a correlation between printing money and uh, runaway inflation. And that's what we're dealing with as an economy right now. And so... We should be demanding of all of those candidates that are vying for our votes that they go back and do everything they can to balance the federal budget. Nobody's talking about it anymore. And both parties have culpability in this problem. Presidents of both parties have deficit spent year after year after year. I'm proud to say that when I was in Congress, I didn't vote for debt limit extensions. I don't believe that's right. I don't believe that we should be adding to the federal debt. In fact, we used to have the old joke back there, a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon you're talking about real money. Well, we have to replace that joke now. It's now a trillion here, a trillion there, and pretty soon you're talking about real money. Does any of us even comprehend what a trillion dollars is? I don't think so. If we did, we wouldn't let the economy be so out of control as it is today. And right now, as you're looking at, again, both parties, and during the COVID, the whole COVID debacle, look at all the money we spent and the policies that we engaged in. I mean, we ended up spending money paying people not to work. 
And now, as I was running for governor this last year and going around the state talking to businesses, they're telling me the biggest issue that we have as a business, we can't get employees. Go figure. Well, when you pay people to stay out of work and stay home and watch sitcoms and soap operas, they're going to stay home. And then when you include with that a policy that puts a moratorium on evictions so that you can stay rent-free wherever you're at or uh, mortgage-free wherever you're at, nobody can throw you out. What do you think you're going to get from that policy? People that don't want to go to work, people that check out. And we've had a lot lot of that happen in this country. So policies do matter, folks. Spending does matter. And the fact that um, we haven't balanced the budget since 2001 is a serious threat to our economy. And if we don't get it under control, this runaway inflation, it's never going to get under control. And the problems that we're having uh, fiscally and passing on to our children and our grandchildren – They're only going to get worse. And right now, I can tell you, because I understand it, that 65% of the federal budget is offline. It's what we call entitlement spending. Entitlement spending is Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. And then you could add to that debt service the cost of of borrowing money. Right now, that's about 65 67% of the federal budget within about... 10, 15 years, it'll be 100% of the federal budget. That means that we'll have no money for education, no money uh, for the military and protecting our countries, no money for anything, no money for infrastructure. It's all going to go to those areas unless we get them under control. So, folks, I I know I don't mean to sound like I'm just uh, uh, jumping up on a soapbox right now, but one of the single biggest issues that we face as a nation is the fact that we can't get our financial house in order. And it's costing us. It's costing us right now at the pump. It's costing us in the grocery stores. It's costing us when we buy a car. And as you listen to the candidates and you go to the polls, and you're, a lot of you have gotten your ballots in the mail and you're, you're ready to vote, what are the candidates talking about, especially at the federal level? Because that's where the problem is the biggest. You know, when I first went to Congress in 1995 during the contract with America, the federal debt was at $5 trillion, and I was apoplectic about that. Folks, it's over $31 trillion now, and that's not including what we owe for Social Security and Medicare on end of the future. You add that number, it's over $100 trillion. We've got to get our financial house in order, or it's going to be very, very cataclysmic to us as a society, folks. I look forward in our next segment to talking about the nuclear threat that Putin is uh, throwing around in in, uh, Ukraine and what kind of ramifications that will have with the world. Uh, Ronald Reagan talked about peace through strength and clarity and letting our opponents know exactly what's going to happen. If you cross X, then Y will happen. And it is a deterrent. Right now, that's not happening. We're going to talk about that in the next segment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Gotta love Shaft. This is Matt Salmon. In for the famous. He's so famous, he's infamous. 
Mike Broomhead. And I'm thrilled to be here today. We've been having a really, really great time. I got to tell you, you got some of the most talented people in the world here, the KTAR, uh, behind the scenes making all this work. I am so impressed. Um, hey, those of us that are parents, we find that in dealing with our kids and trying to raise them to be upstanding, great citizens and, and good human beings, that one of the greatest tools that we have is telling our kids that for every thing that they do, there are rewards and there are consequences. And we spell it out. You know, if you do certain things, if you get A's on your report card, then, you know, you're going to get an iPhone. I mean, I, that might be a little, you know, shooting through the, the through the roof as far as a, 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 a benefit. But, uh, you know, we, 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 there's a cause and effect for everything. And we lay it out there. One of the greatest successes of our jurisprudence system here in the United States is that, you know, that, that we let people know ahead of time. Uh, it's called due process. If you do certain things, then certain things are going to happen. You're going to get arrested. And if this is a misdemeanor and this is a felony. And, and if you are convicted of this kind of felony, this is what happens. Why do I go through all this? Because I believe in clarity. I think to avoid calamity and problems, the best way to avoid those problems is to be clear in what the outcomes are going to be if you cross the line. Now, that doesn't happen in government. In fact, uh, let me just read this to you. Mounting fears that the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, could resort to a nuclear weapon to stem his losses in Ukraine have prompted debate about what are the real red lines for Moscow and Washington. Putin has made general threats to use nukes if Russia is attacked, though it's unclear what the means given Moscow's explaining claims of Ukrainian territory. The United States, in response, has pledged catastrophic consequences if Putin goes nuclear. But President Biden, in an interview Wednesday, declined to offer any details about a U.S. response. And several U.S. officials and experts offered support for the strategic ambiguity behind Biden's comments. Now, remember, uh, back in 2012, the president then, Barack Obama, said that uh, if the Syrian leaders used any chemical weapons, that would be a red line and there would be a severe U.S. military response if uh, those kinds of weapons were used. Well... Then in twenty a year later, uh, Syrian President Bashar Assad did just that. He fired rockets filled with sarin gas into towns around Damascus, killing an estimated fourteen hundred civilians. So Barack Obama drew that red line, cause and effect. If you use any kind of chemical weapons, swift military response. And then guess what? It never happened. The Chinese have a phrase for this it's called paper tiger. When you make threats that you don't fulfill, then nobody ever takes you seriously. I know when I was in Congress the first time, I was on the Foreign Affairs Committee. And uh, the Secretary of State for Bill Clinton at that time was a guy named Warren Christopher. And we were talking about our policies with China. And China at the time was threatening Taiwan, as they are doing again today, deja vu. And I asked Warren Christopher what our policy was toward China. He gave me the answer. Strategic ambiguity. Can any of you really tell me what that means? It means you do it, just, just 
believe me, it's not going to be good. Whatever I do, it's going to be not good. But I can't tell you what I'm going to do. Folks, there was a time when we had a president named Ronald Reagan who sat across the table uh, from the Russian leaders. And they, when they were doing the SALT treaties and, and talking about uh, nuclear disarmament, and uh, the leaders from the Soviet Union demanded of President Reagan that we get rid of Star Wars. He walked around the table and whispered in their ear, Niet, which for those of you that don't know, I'm sure you do, but it means no in Russian. He led with peace through strength and clarity, strategic clarity. We've got to get back to that, folks. If we want to make sure that Putin doesn't go nuclear, that Kim Jong-un, rocket man, doesn't uh, uh, detonate a nuclear missile, a ballistic nuclear missile in Japan or South Korea, we've got to have some strategic clarity. And we need leaders who mean what they say and say what they mean. So I hope you're going to stick around. Uh, with me for the 11 o'clock hour. We're going to have a guest in studio, the Democrat candidate uh, for uh, superintendent of public instruction. And uh, I'm really excited to have her. And then later on in uh, the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to have the Republican uh, candidate for superintendent of public instruction. You've heard me say before, I believe that if there's a policy solution to the problems that ail us as a society, whether it's homelessness, whether it's incarceration, whether it's our economy. All of those things track back to a good education. And not just a good K-12 education, but a good education all the way through. We should never stop learning in our lives. That's something that's incredibly important. And our schools have got to teach our kids the basics. Reading, writing, math, science. We've got to be the best in the world. Not mediocre. As I mentioned earlier in in an earlier segment, our ACT scores are in the tank. We've got to do better by our educational system. we got two candidates coming in, and I hope you're going to listen to what they have to say. There is probably not a more important political job in the whole country than serving on the school boards. Because those are the ones that interface with the teachers, with the parents, with the kids. And believe me, folks, if we want to stay the great country we are, We've got to do a better job when it comes to educating our kids. Thanks, and stay with me uh, on the 11 o'clock hour. I think you're going to be really interested.